Welcome ladies and gentlemen, it's episode 6 of Remember the First Time. I'm here, Mark Rawson, with Paul Fors. Hi! Charlotte Pearson. Hello. And a special guest presenter this afternoon is Dawson the Dog. She's very quiet. This episode we're looking at Massive Attack Protection. The Bristol Trip Hop Trio formed in 1988 in Bristol, obviously. United Kingdom consisted of Robert 3D Del Naja, Grant Daddy G Marshall, and formerly Andy Mushroom Rolls, or Mush. The debut album, Blue Lines, was released in 1991 with a huge single, Unfinished Sympathy. We're focusing today on their follow-up album, Protection, released after the departure of Shara Nelson, but brought in with a popular Tracy Thorne from Everything But The Girl, released Protection on 26th of September 1994, around the time with the popularity of Portishead and Tricky that the genre trip-hop was coined. So, 26th of September 1994, do you remember the first time? No. <laughs> no. No, neither do I. As you've gathered, we're still a bit too young in our careers. Careers? In our lives, at this point. But boy, have we had fun discovering this album since. Well, I certainly have anyway. What were your initial thoughts on the album? Uh, I really liked it. I think I thought it was quite interesting. Um, I thought the the lyrical themes are quite deep and meaningful, and that it's quite different musically from a lot of other things that are out at the time. Like you compare it to the other albums that we've looked at so far, especially like Blur and Oasis, which are quite popular album. Completely different sound. It's taking lots of influences from everywhere, like reggae and classical and a bit of everything like there's songs that sound like film scores there's songs that sound like really chill out i think it's probably the most interesting and intricate album that we've listened to out of all the ones we've covered so far yeah i i agree actually for the majority of that i, I the uh the film score sort of theme to it i really i really enjoyed there's some bits that i found a bit more difficult to enjoy than others not that i didn't appreciate them i just didn't find them as enjoyable but it's Craig Armstrong, I think, is the uh, pianist, classical pianist, that was brought in and also ended up uh, producing and being part of Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet's uh, musical score for that film. So you can totally hear the embryos, the beginnings of that idea of, of, of a film score within Massive Attack uh, and within Protection. And I think Massive Attack on a whole have this ability to create music that feels as though it's part of a bigger thing. It's it's one element of a much larger piece of art and, and that's certainly something that I feel especially on Heat Miser uh, that comes across really, really strongly. Um, like I say, some bits on Heat Miser I'm not totally keen on but I really feel it's got this kind of filmatic uh, yeah it's, it's definitely got a, a, an element of being a film score to it. Yeah, definitely. Heat Miser is actually one of my favourites on the album. I really enjoy that track because of that sort of movie soundtrack type influence to it. Uh, I did not know that about the composer. What did you say his name was? Craig Armstrong. Oh, excellent. I The reason I say that, so Weather, not one of my best tracks on the album, but that piano at the end, woohoo, I could listen to that all day. I do think, talking Beautiful. about the piano, the opening kind of uh, accent on the piano really sounds a lot like um, tubular bells mm. and I, I yeah. once I got that in my head it was hard to not disassociate it from the exorcist and then that gives this feel of ominousness to it and, and it makes it feel 
uh, dramatic. And that, I think, again, really helps with this idea of it being thematic and, and supporting this idea of it being a film score. Definitely, definitely. So there's obviously, like you said, Charlotte, there's obviously a lot of influence on the album from R&B, hip-hop, rap and reggae. Do you think that really adds to the intricacy and the just the tapestry of the sound, or do you think it can feel confusing at times? I struggled a little bit in part, but overall enjoyed it. Yeah, I think... I think it can, it does help it. It gives it those different layers and that richness of sound. And it means that you don't necessarily get bored, which I think, especially in today's, like the way that we listen to music today and everything's completely different all the time. I think that kind of helps. Maybe at the time that might be different. But I do agree there is certain areas where it might be a little bit more confused. You've got like the sort of rap karma coma and that's quite kind of punky as well. And then you've got like Weatherstorm, which is kind of like jazzy. It's almost like you sat in some sort of like cocktail bar, sipping it, or like even elevator music sort of thing. It's kind of completely different genres all mixed into one, and you're kind of like, well, what's going on here? Yeah. Weird. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. One of the reasons I asked about whether it can be confusing at times is mm. so that first track, Protection, I love it. And I love Tracy Thorne's voice on it. I love just how chilled it is. But then going into Karma Coma, mm. I, actually, it, I actually switch off a little bit there because I feel like it's too much of a leap from yeah. one track to another. See, I really like Karma Coma. I, for me, I really like it. It feels like you're in a club, it feels a little bit seductive a little bit scandalous it's got this kind of feel of it's a sexy track it's really kind of intimate in, and, and i think tricky's vocals tricky's known for having this kind of hushed hip-hop spoken word style and it, and, it, and it adds to the to the intimacy of it and you know you can hear lots of modern rappers actually when when you hear a lot of like the mumblecore style now you can hear tricky's influence on it and but he was not the, the original doing that because there's a lot of reggae that that take that he's taken influence from, and that that's true on some of the tracks that um, Horace Andy sings on. Um, but yeah, I I do think there's a lot of genres getting mixed up, and it is a bit of a um, it is a little bit of a of a a change in tone, change in, in color, I suppose, in terms of like one from one spectrum to the other when you go from protection to uh, karma coma. But I think what you here throughout is there's a real warmth and there's a real uh, there's a there's an identity within the bass lines of Massive Attack I think they always have a, a, a kind of a consistent way of using electronica and bass and percussion to create this familiar sound that works throughout all of their tracks regardless of flitting between reggae dub electronica chill out whatever you want to refer to it as trip hop as a overall umbrella term but how do you feel about the actual um, clash in sound between, or the, like I say, the giant leaps between it? I can understand. I think my issue with the album, and it's I say issue as if it's a huge negative, because I really enjoy the album, to be honest, is just that leap that I mentioned before. I think maybe the track listing could be switched around to uh, just help improve the journey of the album without using that horrendous word journey (laughs) well I mean speaking of that what how do you think it ought to be switched around and I don't think there is a perfect answer for that but would what would you would you still keep protection as track one would you put something else as the opening track or what would you put where 
I think I would put Karma Coma a little later in the album, honestly, honestly, just because I don't like that huge leap between those two tracks that I mentioned. I think it would fit if it was around something like, say, Spying Glass. I love the beat in that, and I love the, the reggae influence to it, and I think that could lend itself better in terms of an order if it's fitted around then. Although, to be honest, having said that, I believe they see, and they as in Massive Attack, see whether, I think it's whether Spying Glass and Better Things almost as sister tracks to each other. Or it might, I might be getting that wrong, actually. It might be whether Sly and Better Things. So, one, I can't understand why they're not playing after each other. But, yeah, I don't know. It's that, That's my only negative towards the intro to that album, because I'm caught straight away mm. by the um, song with Tracy Thorne on, with Protection, and then instantly I personally switch off on track two, and it takes a little bit for it to recover for me. I think it's, I think it's Weatherstorm and... Um... I think it's Storm and Heat Miser that are sort of meant to be sister tracks. They're meant to be complementing each other. Um, but then again, they're both the tracks that Craig Armstrong has a lot you're of right. you're information, right. a lot of influence on. Yeah, you're right. It's Heat Miser. I've got my notes here. Heat Miser, Weatherstorm, and Sly. Interesting that they're not put together on the album. But well, they'll have the reasons, won't they? Sure, they do. Yeah. Producers normally do. So, well, speaking of producers, um, it's. Uh, the, the, one of the producers on the album is uh, the producer that worked with Bjork on her uh, on her album um, on her debut, and it's uh, and Nelly Hooper, I think, is the is the co-producer on it, who, like I say, worked with Bjork, and I think part of the reason why they got Tracy Thorne in when they had to get in a new vocalist was that Bjork and Nelly Hooper had heard Tracy Thorne's vocals and said, "This is the person that we should bring in." And Bjork herself was a fan of Tracy Thorne's voice. But I don't think um, Massive Attack and Tracy Thorne actually had that good a working relationship on the track. I think Tracy Thorne says that for a lot of it, she didn't know whether they liked what yeah. she was doing. Yeah. And they, ne- they, didn't, that. they didn't collaborate on the track in a sense of, we'll make the music and the lyrics together. I think my understanding is, is that the track was produced and then the lyrics were put on top of it. Yeah, tra- the, yeah. The, the lyrics that are written by Tracy Thorne, though, aren't they? Mm, yeah. So she's been almost brought in to do a job. Yeah. <laughs> With that in its most <laughs> yeah. Like a session yeah. musician. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I wonder, like, this is me just asking a question. I don't know this. I, I don't know enough about everything but the girl. I, I enjoy their uh, bigger hits. Everything but the girl at that time. I, I'm trying to think what point in their career... It is. How are everything but the girl looking at this point? I'm not entirely it's, sure if I'm honest. I think it's before. Um, I think it's before wherever you go, I will follow you. I okay. think it's before that big breakthrough hit. Yeah. But they were still quite underground. Uh, they weren't getting like mainstream chart play, but they were they were respected among musicians. Mm. Mm. Right. Okay. So um, great. So overall, positive positive first thoughts on the album. Yeah. Yeah, really like it. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by it. And not that I thought I wasn't going to enjoy them because the commercially known stuff, the the, the bigger hits for a massive attack, I like. But it's not the album that I, as a music fan, immediately know about. You know, no. I know about Mezzanine, I know about Blue Lines, but this is the kind of the in between one, which is which you immediately think means that it's the worst. The, one. Yeah, <laughs> the the poorer cousin, but it's not personally. 
No, I I agree with that. It's it's and no blue lights. To be honest, Mezzanine. I know the big tracks off it. Teardrop. Never an album yeah. that I must have got into. And I know it's their bigger biggest album. Blue lights though. Love that as an album. Unfinished Sympathy, of course, being such a highlight there. But this album, before recording this, I hadn't listened to it as an album. I knew Protection, the single. That was it. Uh, but I was yeah, I was pleasantly. Um, I had a I had positive response to that first listen but what was it competing at with the time rem monster notorious big ready to die slayer divine intervention and the pulp fiction soundtrack big albums around the same time of release i think this one is slightly different um but does that help it stand out really in a busy atmosphere i think it's competitors are completely different genres mm-hmm I personally think that if you're going to buy this album, it's because you know the sound and you like the sound. And I don't think necessarily Massive Attack have ever been a kind of band that rely on album sales or worry about album sales. I think they produce music simply because they love producing music. Absolutely. Mm, Yeah, I would agree. It's more like the creation, like an art piece, rather than we wanted to sell albums and make loads of money off this. You're crazy, but you're easy. No need to live and no need to. Your troubles must be seen to see through money like it's paper. With faces I remember, I drink on a daily basis. The way sort of cools my temper. You never cool. Do you think it's aged well as an album? Uh, I think it probably has. Like, I think some of the tracks on here you might necessarily hear similar sorts of things released now, like. For example, Karma Coma. I kind of thought that if you this whole slow tie sort of thing is mm. kind of coming through on that, and from that perspective, I think it is quite up to date. And I think because of the way that the songs are structured and the way that they take so many different influences, it kind of makes them a little bit more timeless because it's not rooting itself in a specific age it's taking bits from you know 80s from 60s from everywhere all different genres and all mixing it together and it kind of makes it a little bit more classic yeah i agree with you on that and i i, I do see the influence on artists like slow tie i mean massive attack of work with young fathers as well in the past yeah. so there is a kind of through line of um a development of the sound and yeah i agree as well the fact that there's so many different samples and there's elements of gla- jazz and classical in there reggae yeah little bits of samples in um yeah on euro child um which has got 3d and tricky doing the vocals on there one of the lyrics that tricky samples is from the specials so they're kind of aping mm. back to that two-tone sound uh and then yeah on spine glass you've got horace andy who's doing reggae and he's been doing reggae for decades prior to that and continues to so yeah there's absolutely a timelessness i completely agree with you on that yeah i i agree i think it's age i think if i was to hear this album now and know nothing about it it was just on i wouldn't necessarily think this is an album from the mid 90s mm. uh i think sometimes certain sounds in it that i'm like hmm not sure i'm I don't think particularly sound current, but as a as a whole, I think the album has aged well. Yeah, I, I, there's it's. I think there's probably a hint of didgeridoo on um, three. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a hint. Now there's some yeah. niche. 
What's your favourite track on the album, Charlotte? Uh, mine is Sly. I think it kind of almost sounds like a James Bond theme tune, and I quite like that. Um, I get that. It is probably the most commercial out of all the tracks, though, and I guess that's probably why it was chosen to be a single. But I kind of like the fact that it's quite edgy and mysterious as well. I actually really like Karma Coma. It's that's probably my favourite. Oh, that's interesting. It's one of my least favourite on the album. But we all have different tastes. We all have different <laughs> tastes. Mine are the two Chase Thorn ones, Protection and Better Things. If I had to choose one of them, I would say it would be Better Things. I just think it's very raw. I just think she's got a beautiful voice, and I really enjoy it. As simple as that. I think it's probably one of them. For me, it's one of the more. They're both the more accessible tracks on the album. So that's probably why I enjoy them more because this isn't really my genre. It isn't something that I would naturally pick out to listen yeah. to all the time um, and that's probably why but yeah those are those are my two favourites do you think um, those two tracks are kind of two sides of the same coin one is about a woman a woman looking after her partner and that is autobiographical it's Tracy mm-hmm. Thorne looking after her partner yeah and yet the other side is a couple on the verge of breaking down one I took it as both have decided to quit yeah a mutually, yeah. a mutual split, or as Un- what, conscious, uncoupling, con- yeah, conscious, <laughs> conscious uncoupling. uncoupling. If you're uh, Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, if you're in the noughties. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. I think that's exactly what it's about, uh, and um, it's almost you could <laughs> you could argue that it's almost a, a journey within this album mm. that you start off. At, I want to do everything to kind of protect you, and then it's coming up to no, we're not we're not working together and we can go for better things and they have, have to, they have to protect themselves at yeah. That point. yeah 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 quick Absolutely. fact about tracy thorne it's her birthday on the 26th of september so the album oh, was released, released on, on her birthday. birthday how old was she do you know what? i don't know oh and, and it's rude to ask a lady <laughs> it's rude to ask a lady but i can guarantee you one thing i think she'll be 25 years older now well she will be yeah. <laughs> she certainly will true facts Okay, coming up next, we have an interview with Jessica Joy, friend of the podcast. So just tell us a little bit more about where you were and what you were doing in the 90s. So in the 90s, I was living in very central Bristol and um, I lived just above Stokes Croft, which is quite a renowned area now. Um, It's quite an independent stretch of like cafes and shops on the edge of St Paul's and very close to the city centre and um, me and my friends would just love to go out listening to music lots of different kinds of music and Bristol was a real melting pot for music there was so many different things going on um, it was it was an exciting time um, I was working in a record shop uh, called Replay Records and I started off working downstairs in the sort of rock and pop shop. Um, it also sold jazz and worlds and things like that. And this was probably just before um, Britpop kind of really exploded. So the bands we probably sold a lot of at that time was, I can still remember all the record sleeves because I saw them so much. Um, Blur, Modern Life is Rubbish, Radiohead, Pablo Honey, The Sundays, things like that. Um, and then I got moved upstairs to the dance record shop, um, which at first was really, really intimidating because it was a whole world of new stuff that I didn't know. And um, 
yeah, sort of um, DJ types coming in and talking about music in a very different way to the people uh, who are into indie and things like that. Um, but uh, I, I grew to love all these kinds of dance music as well as all, all the, uh, the other things I've been listening to. Yeah, I imagine it was quite um, eye-opening, especially in Bristol, with the like the invention of drum and ball and the drum and bass scene. Like, what was that like? What were your memories of people coming in to record shop by records? Yeah, uh, the the invention of the the whole yeah the whole birth of drum and bass was really exciting. It was really funny actually because a friend, me and my group of girlfriends, we would go out to these sort of little illegal backstreet clubs in St Paul's and listen to a lot of um, you know hip hop and reggae and soca and all this kind of stuff uh, and soul and funk. And when drum and bass first came out, we were like, oh, what is this? I don't I don't get it. Uh, and then one night we heard this DJ play some really great, we were like, oh, I get it now. It's these great tracks. And um, it suddenly clicked and I loved it. Um, and what was funny at the time was it, I was working in the, the, you know, the dance music shop and Ronnie Size and DJ Crust and Di and all those lot used to come in and get me to play all the funk records on, on double speed on 45 instead of 33 so they could hear the brakes speed it up because that's what they were going to do is go and take them and sample them and chop them up. Um, so that was sort of, you know, how it was getting created in the early days. Sounds pretty awesome to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it sounds like music was pretty important to you back then. What were the kind of things that you were listening to around about that, that sort of time? Well, I have I, I, such a, a love of so many stars. I mean, I started off listening to a lot of um, 60s music, so um, influenced by my dad's record collection. So I was listening to um, everything from Bob Dylan and Country Joe and the Fish and Arthur Brown and Janis Joplin and all that stuff. And then I went sort of from that into, uh, there was a local band called the Moonflowers who were sort of like hippie indie rock, and the, but they were kind of influenced by reggae as well. And I got really into like funk, Isaac Hayes and James Brown. And then that led me into, I got really into hip hop as well. because it was quite a good time uh, for listening to that. So it was De La Soul and Daz FX and KRS-One and things like that. Um, and I was also a bit of a raver, so I loved listening to um, all the kind of British hardcore, what was it called hardcore then? Sounds not at all hardcore now. Um, underground stuff as well. Um, and yeah, into then into drum and bass and breaks and I've I, you know I listen to everything really. Oh, cool. So throughout the most of the nineties, you were a DJ. So what was that like, and what was it like being a female DJ in the nineties as well? Yeah, it was it was it was good fun being a DJ. I, it, I fell into it by accident. So I was working at this record shop, and a friend of mine said, "You're bringing home all these really great records. You shouldn't be keeping them to yourself. You should come out and play them." And he set up a little night in this cafe, Dokes Cafe. Uh, so I just sort of learned on the on the on the job sort of thing. So at that point, I was playing. Yeah, um, it was sort of right at the beginning of Mary J. Blige and all that kind of era. Um, was playing that kind of stuff um, and then I got given some gigs at the Blue Mountain Club which is still going in Bristol just about um, and the Thecla and other kind of iconic Bristol clubs 
uh, and it was a lot of fun. The promoters were all like, I, I worked, I DJed for a guy called Malcolm, who now runs a big area at Glastonbury Festival, and he was always really good. Had loads of female DJs and always treated us really well. So I never suffered in that respect. But you did, I did always get these sort of blokes coming up, going, "Oh, are those your boyfriend's records and things like that?" And you kind of just ignore them <laughs> until they went away. Yeah, it's a bit infuriating, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a male, seen as a male-dominated scene. Yeah, but there was quite a little um, group of us. Myself, Queen Bee, she was resident at the the, the same night called Chocolate City. Um, there was near the Tough Cookies. There was quite a few of us um, female DJs. In fact, Malcolm used to do a night called Female Funky Fresh, uh, which was yeah always a really good fun. So. Do you remember the first time that you fell in love with music? Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I guess the, the 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 time that it really kind of turned my head, because obviously I, you know, you hear music and particular songs will jump out at you. But when I first got that real hunger and interest, was definitely clocking on stuff. Uh, catching on to certain things, yeah, in my dad's record collection. So my dad had this quite amazing record collection um, of 60s stuff, and some of it was quite psychedelic. And I was really into The Doors and Pink Floyd and all that, yeah, pretty psychedelic stuff. And the way it kind of took you on a journey. Um, and at the same time, because obviously I was listening to this in the in the... I guess it was the late, mid to late 80s. Um, it was also around the time that Jean-Michel Jarre came out, so which was also a bit psychedelic in its own way. And just the ability of music like that to take you on a journey. Terry Riley as well. Um, and I guess I still really love that about, uh, especially dance music, the way it can start in one place and then transport you somewhere else completely. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. <laughs> um, so, the finally, final question: What are you listening to at the moment? What are the kind of things that you're loving listening to? Well, there's always the the, the sort of the, the split between what I like to listen to, kind of in the car or whatever, and then what I'm what I'm DJing. I mean, obviously, there's some crossover, but so I go through phases when I'm DJing of being really into a particular style at the moment I'm quite into the sort of intersection of disco and house um, and I never really listened to that first time round and I was never that much into house music at all I was into you know uh, techno or jungle or hip hop but not so much into house before so I, I've been quite in getting into that and then um, yeah and I like uh, lots of the kind of British funky stuff that's coming out like the allergies and Shaka Loves You and um, the stuff that Ski Whiff is still doing and, and people like that cool I haven't heard most of them so I'll have to check them out <laughs> yeah brilliant thank you very much Jess so thank you so much for letting us chat to you well thank you for letting me chat about music that's something I love to do <laughs>
Okay, welcome back. We're talking about Massive Attack and Protection, their second album. But what about the singles? Sly, Protection and Karma Coma. Do we think they were the right singles from the album? I think they were probably the most accessible. I'll be... I know you've argued that Better Things is equally accessible. Um, I would have... I mean, you could easily argue between Sly or Better Things as, as a single choice, but I, I can't argue too much with those. Um, I can't remember what they led with. What was the lead single? Was it actually... Um, I'm guessing, from the running order, it was Sly. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> mm, which, I, I don't know, like, yeah, you, it's probably the right choice to not yeah, leave with so. protection. I think Sly is the most commercial, like yeah. I said before, so I can see why they probably released that one first, to get the attention around it and the airplay. Mm. And then, obviously, protection is just such a great track. It's really, really good. And then Karma Coma's kind of got that, like, message to it, and it's a bit more... Don't know, kind of like even tribal in the way mm. that it's delivered. That that's showcased in another way that another part side of the album and what that covers. So kind of if you go through all the singles, it's kind of covering a bit of everything and showing the range. Mm-hmm. For me, I would lose Karma Coma if I'm honest. I would instead. I'm not saying bringing better things. Like one of my favorite tracks on the album. I wouldn't bring that in as a single though. If you wanted to show that different side, that different range that you're speaking about, I completely agree why they did it on why they chose Karma Coma. Karma Coma for that. Personally though, to do that, I would probably have used Spine Glass mm. as a single. Um, I love that reggae sort of influence on it. I really enjoyed the beat to it. And for me, personally, I think that's got more appeal than Karma Coma. Do you not think if it was released today, they'd probably just drop it, to use the modern vernacular, they'd drop, drop it. it and just be like, you know what? We're not releasing a single. Yeah, we're not going yeah. to release a single. This is a we'll piece just, of art. Yeah. Enjoy it for what it is. On all, the, on all the stations, play whatever track you want, because every single one can be standalone or be collective. Mm. And personally, I think that's what they do nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think so too. How was it received? Pretty damn good. Enemy, 8 out of 10. Guardian, 4 out of 5. Rolling Stone, 4 out of 5. Select, 5 out of 5. And All Music, 4 out of 5. Fair? I don't think it's 5 out of 5 album. I think 8 out of 10, 4 out of 5 is pretty good. It's like, it is a very good album. It has a good story to it. It has a good range of influences. It's probably kind of revolutionary at the time. Um, but yeah, there are areas like say like the track listing and the way that it was set up, which could probably improve it. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think it's it was them refining <laughs> weirdly refining their sound, like completely reinterpreting it mm. at the same time. Like you can hit the amount of influence that you now hear from sort of the mid two thousands onwards for bands that have been massively influenced by Massive Attack and that sound. That kind of highly compressed, really deep, bassy sound with the Glitchtronica in it, you can hear it across a whole multitude of genres and a whole load of bands. Like, I don't think we'd have Gorillaz in in all their variety without Massive Attack. Yeah. Not least just because of, you know, Damon Albarn's uh, workings with Massive Attack as well, but, you know, bands like Zero Seven, 
they made that trip hop sound really popular. I, I hate the term like chill out because you know and a uh, uh, lounge music. Chill out with your hate for it, yeah. Paul. <laughs> like so, on, on one of the one of the Wikipedia pages when researching this album were like, oh, it's chill out, like. It's lounge music. I'm like, <laughs> it's chill out, really, a genre. Yeah, lounge music where you just laid there. Like, <laughs> that just sounds like you're hard. Which, you know, I'm not suggesting any of the band were or weren't at that point. I think chill out is just an easy cop out when you're trying yeah. to describe it, really. It's, yeah, I, I, I think it's probably simply because I think at times the sound veers too widely between genres, sometimes to its detriment. I would probably put it maybe. On a good day, I would have said eight. On a bad day, I would have said seven. And I don't think mm. it's a bad album. I just think I'd give I, it seven out of ten. I'll mm, be honest. I'm not. I, I eight really to like push. it. Yeah, I so really like it. I'm not in love with it, and I just. Yeah, I'm feeling you there. I get it. I get that. I'm giving it seven out of ten. Not quite an eight. Not quite a four out of five, but it's a damn good album, mm. and I really enjoy it. Um, how did it perform? Chart position four in the UK. Two times platinum, 600,000 sales. Also, as of 2010, almost 300,000 copies sold in the United States. Rolling Stone ranked it ranked Protection at number 51 on its list of the 100 best albums of the 90s. And it also appears in the book 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Have you been following that book? I actually have that book, have I think. You? I think yeah. I do, to be honest. I don't think I've got a modern edition. I think they release one basically every year. Yeah. Add a few in. Well, yeah, you'd hate to be one of the ones dropped out, wouldn't you? Yeah, keep oh, me going. No, another album. Oh, got them at 998. I hope there's not three more this yeah. year. <laughs> but then there's taste change. You know what? They might bump up a little bit. You it, never know. Exactly. It's hard to be that prescriptive and dogmatic on this is an album that you should listen to. If, if an album speaks to one person more than another, you know, that makes it more important to them, you could argue. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, most importantly, though, where is it going to sit in the Remember the First Time charts? So far, we've got Oasis at number one, Pulp at number two, Manix, The Holy Bible, at number three, Blur's Pot Life is dwelling down number four at the moment. Where are you going to put it, Charlotte? Mm-hmm. See, for me... It's probably the best album I think we've listened to. So, in that respect, we're going number one. And also, if you're thinking about the, um, I don't know, probably how revolutionary it was at the time in the way that it was using music and the whole trip-hop genre, I guess you'd probably put it at number one for that as well. So, I'm just going to say number one. Wow. <laughs> that is a bold statement yeah. to, to uh, put out there. How about yourself, Paul? Uh, well, I was trying to think of reasoning as well. I, in terms of sort of influence and impact on the music genre as a whole and who it's influenced, but also considering sort of public consciousness and pop cultural impact as well, I'm going to put it overall in three, overtaking Mannix, but sitting behind Pulp. I was going to put it in exactly the same place, if I'm honest. Part, I will admit, personal preference... Um, I also just think it hasn't, although, like you say, maybe it's because I don't know enough about the genre, it's 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 paving the way for it, it's around the time that trip-hop is being coined, etc. Um, I just don't think it has an impact like the two that I am suggesting are ahead of it had and uh, continue to have. And I think it's that continue to have mm. that really... Um, does it for me 
I don't personally. I don't think it impacts uh, the wider musical culture and UK culture like Pulp and Oasis did. So that's why I would still say third position. Yeah, three. We're sitting in at three then. It's still bronze position, and it still it doesn't mean it's not a great album. I'm I still feel sorry for Blur at the minute down at the bottom. It makes it sound like it's a terrible album. It's not. It's just of our choosings. It's uh, <laughs> the least favourite of those. Um, so yeah, welcome. Massive attack protection to the remember the first time charts. You're going in at number three. Up next, we've got the socials. Okay, welcome back. We are still a standard at the reception we've been getting from you guys. We love how many of you have been listening to this podcast. And even more so, the favourite ones are the people who respond to us. So please do continue to get in touch. What have people been saying about Massive Attack and Protection? Well, this month we asked Paul, what did we ask? Uh, We asked, what is your favourite track off of the Protection album? Okay, and... We had some responses such as L Man 69, favourite track on the album, 100% better things, subtle but incredible. D Grinch, De Grinch, German for The Grinch, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that this album was labelled trip hop is a travesty. This album is hip hop returning to its dub roots. This album saved hip hop from the mid 90s and it in- injected a bit of life into the genre. That's interesting because essentially this album was. The beginning of the album that really defined it. Well, uh, are we talking about trip-hop here or hip-hop? Because I don't think it's the album that defined hip-hop, and I think that's what he's saying. I think he said hip-hop. I think he's saying no trip-hop. He thinks that this album defines trip-hop. Read that a bit. Let's let's unravel what this man is saying. The fact that this album was labelled trip-hop is a travesty. This album is hip-hop returning to its dub roots. The album saved hip hop from the midnight. Yeah. Inje- All right, fair enough. Yeah, that's what I thought he said. Yeah. It isn't hip hop. Listen, Paul, yeah. listening class. It isn't hip hop. <laughs> no, but I don't think it's hip hop myself. But then I don't know. I, I struggle to comment on that because I don't feel close enough to the genre. Hmm. Charlotte, what else? Uh, ben Bark said that this is. They are one of the strongest bands of this genre. Amazing lyrics, atmospheric sound, just the best. Oh, and I'd vote Heat Miser from Protection. I'm guessing that's Barry's favourite single. Mm. Oh, I agree that it's a great track, Keep My Eyes. I forgot to mention that before I'm one of my favourites. I do love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jeff Cunido, Jeff Cunido, uh, when I, when asked what's his favourite track off of the album, said, I'm going to put forward Eurochild. It's got a great up-tempo vibe to it that Massive Attack rarely followed up. Uh, was it a sort of follow-up to Unfinished Sympathy? Uh, from Blue Lines being the main dancey track on protection, possibly. Also, the combination of D and Tricky 3D uh, on the vocals was always great. And I love the fact that we got three very different songs from these lyrics. Tricky's own Hell is Round the Corner and the more mezzanine-like Euro Zero Zero. This guy knows his Massive Attack stuff. He really does. <laughs> a big fan, a big fan. Yeah. I like your child. 
I've wrote in my notes, it feels busy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing, though. I, I think I was thinking, as I was listening to it, I was like, God, what is going off here? There are so many things happening, and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> it is a very busy track. It is. Yeah. It is. I like it. Okay. Uh, Blue Summers said, I see a lot of people saying the title track protection is their favourite, and I would definitely put it in my top three. For me, though, it's a tie between Three and Sly, which are two of my favourite Massive Attack songs. And I have to agree on Sly, to be honest. I think that was a great track. Mm-hmm. Uh, DJ Gobot, which is probably my favourite name of the DJ name? what? DJ Gobot. DJ Gobot. I think he's an excitable chap. Oh, he or she, sorry. They. They are an excitable yeah. chap. Gobot's, of course, the inferior Transformers option. <laughs> and they were. Anyway, DJ Gobot. Obviously, Karma Coma is a great track. Disagree. I agree. <laughs> but personally, Heat Miser is my favourite track on the record. Just a deep and amazingly engaging beat from start to finish. And I think that's kind of definitely one of the signatures of Math of Attack. They're, like I say previously, the beat, the bass lines, they really know how to build percussion and create an atmosphere. Uh, I'm Hippie Mark, which I'm not Hippie Mark, but Hippie Mark is I'm Hippie Mark. They're Hippie Mark. Yeah. That person is Hippie Mark. Says I love protection and also the Mad Professor remix on the No Protection album. Now, we didn't really touch on this, did we? No, no protection. We didn't. Have you had a listen to that? Do you know what? I didn't because I wanted to just focus on this album. Yeah. I am interested in listening to the remixes. Yeah. It's meant to be a full dub remix as yeah, well. Yeah, which, yeah. Yeah. I I gave it one listen and quite enjoyed it, but I was also busy working at the time, so it was more of <laughs> on in the background rather than a full on yeah. listen. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it some more attention after this fair enough and the, and the last one is from Transponsters who ah. I'm assuming is a friend a fan of Friends because I'm pretty sure that he uh, what's his name Matthew Perry's character in there Chandler works with Transponsters or something like that okay uh, protection like, what well, is a Transponster I don't think it's okay. a real thing oh, right. yeah. um, Transponsters anyway says protection or karma uh, karma coma by a mile I'm definitely a Nightmare album for me. Nighttime oh. album. Oh, wait, I've put... Uh, <laughs> nightmare, I read that as Nightmare. Maybe you're having a Nightmare right now. I am. Really <laughs> <laughs> it feels like, uh, for me, this album, I think certainly it's a Nighttime album. It's quite good, actually. It feels like the type of album that you put on, well, that when you were young, you'd put on when you got in from a club and yeah. you don't want the night to stop. Now, when I get in, and it's not from a club, it's just in, I go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) But that didn't used to be the case. Often I fall asleep before getting home. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you were to give this album a season, I think it sounds autumnal. I think it sounds changeable, and it sounds a little bit... What uh, about a late summer? <laughs> no, I'm going to be very specific. Indian here. summer. No, oh, I love an Indian summer. <laughs> no, this is an autumnal album, and anyone that disagrees can shut up and go outside without a scarf on. <laughs> I've already got a scarf. Can slip on, on some wet leaves <laughs> <laughs> like a train. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, the there've been some really insightful comments. It's been great that everyone's got in touch with us. More yeah. people get in touch with us, not because we need you, but because it makes our life easier. Uh, we do need them. We love. I. It's my favourite bit of the content, if I'm honest. Listen to what other people think. Are, we are. <laughs> we are desperate. Getting in touch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're desperate. We just enjoy their 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 company. We enjoy their uh, and it, and engagement. It, and it's a good few minutes where we don't have to produce content. It is. It is. So do get in touch, Charlotte. How can they get in touch? 
They can get in touch via Twitter and Instagram at RTF Time. And they can also email us at doyouatrememberthefirsttime.com. They certainly can. They can go to our website at rememberthefirsttime.com and sign up to hear about the latest release. And why should they do that, Paul? Uh, because they'll get the release before anyone else. They certainly Ooh. will. Rememberthefirsttime.com. Give us your email address. We'll give you the content first. Can't ask for, say fairer than that. We're so on message. <laughs> <laughs> right, coming up next, it's the quiz. Welcome back. We know it's your favourite time. It's certainly our favourite time. It's time for the quiz. Charlotte, this week you're the quiz master. I am. What's it going to be on? Massive Attack. Thank you. Thank you, no oasises. All right, then. So, we're all ready for question one on Massive Attack. Oh, God. It's not going to be on their band, is it? Or Attacks. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm editing this out. You two forget that I edit this and I'm I'm cutting it. Massive, massive attacks. Go ahead, Charles. I'm all at ears. All right, so. In 1485... For sake. Please say you're winding me up. You're not winding me up, are you? I hate you two. Hate. I mean, what I'll do is I'll read this question and if you know it, then you get an extra point, so okay. it's good. Oh, do you have an actual quiz on the band? Yeah, I do, oh, after this. On, so, in 1485, on, at the Battle of Bosworth Field, what was the surname <laughs> of the brothers who held back their forces to decide which team to support, which team, which person, team. <laughs> to support before joining Henry Tudor's forces to defeat Richard III? The brothers. So, the brothers had an army, and they were like, well, wait, we'll see which they one wins. They both winning. had an army. Oh, right, sorry. So they but have... what was their surname? Right. Um... You do get an extra point for that. Um... Anyway. In 1485, at the Battle of Bosworth Field, what was the surname of the brothers who held <laughs> back their forces? Oh, oh, oh. oh Dawson, <laughs> Dawson agrees, does, disagrees with this. She's getting upset. Dawson. What's wrong, Dawson? Right, and so the name of the brothers in the battle... Bah, bah, yeah. bah, bah, bah. Who held back their forces to decide who to support before joining Henry Tudor's forces to defeat Richard III? So, getting on to actual questions about the band. Ah! Oh, she's is happy. That, is that the answer? She's <laughs> yeah, happy now. It is. Right then, moving on. Question number so, two. Proper quiz. What number was their track Unfinished Sympathy voted in a poll by Enemy of the Greatest Songs of All Time? Will you take the closest answer as I a will. point? Because yes. I've read this. I've, I can't remember it, but I've read it somewhere. Was it a list of X amount, or was it just... I have no idea. It just says the greatest songs of all time. Right, next. Yes, I've got an answer. Okay. The video for 2016's The Spoils features which Lord of the Rings actress? Interesting. Okay, and then last one. In which year of the noughties did Massive Attack curate the annual Meltdown Festival on London South Bank? Are you classing the noughties as 2000 to 2010? 2009. It's 2009, okay. Well, my answer would have been wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Glad I cleared that one up. That's part of the 2010s. Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) I thought I'd just clear up, because that's what my understanding was as well, Charlotte. Just wanted to be clear on that. (laughs) We're talking 2000. 
2009. 2009. Yes, yes. the <laughs> See, I was thinking that was just from the 21st century. Onwards. In the abbreviations, yeah. the ones that begin with a naught. The zeros, some might say. Yeah. The zeros. Yes. Cool. I have answers. Cool. In 1485, what are your answers? <laughs> uh, I think this is wrong. Because it's very likely it's right. Uh, Go for it. Turncoat? No. Well, I'm just Mark's on his phone, by the way. He yeah, might be cheating. I've, ri- I've written down my answers on the phone. That's why. Whatever. I've not Googled anything. Whatever. And believe me, when you hear this answer, you'll know I've not Googled it. <laughs> I'm going for the Brothers of Destruction, a.k.a. Kane and The Undertaker from wrestling. That's where they got their names. Wow. I mean, it's kind of boring compared to both of them. It's just the Stanleys. Oh. All right. Okay. I quite like your uh, your your answer. <laughs> oh, you you're not upset that I wrote it down on my phone now, are you? To show you. <laughs> I still no, I still think you've cheated. <laughs> Come on then. Right. So for question two, what number was the track "Unfinished Sympathy" voted in a poll by Enemy of the Greatest Songs of All Time? And we're agreed that the closest gets the point. Yep. Sixty-eight. Ooh, I've gone sixty-one. Oh, it's 63rd. So yes! Right. The video for 2016's The Spoils features which Lord of the Rings actress? Paul. Liv Tyler. Oh, I've also said Liv Tyler. You're both wrong. It's Kate Blanchett. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Damn. But we're wrong together. Yes. <laughs> okay, Meltdown Festival. What year did Massive Attack curate it? I've said 2009. 2003. 2008. So technically, we're oh, no. That's uh, another point on the board for me. Fuzzy rubbish at these points. It's only wanna... ever me and Charlotte that win. <laughs> don't want to win anyway. There we go. So Back taking part. Mark wins. Does that mean that we're level now? We are level. We are level. I'm the quiz master next time, so uh, two all is it? Two, both? two all. Oh no, three, three all. all. It must be three all now. Yeah. Ah, We've done all. six. Yeah. And you've not got any points, so. <laughs> <laughs> I might be kind to you next time, Paul. It's not that it matters. <laughs> I might be kind Fine. next time. I definitely will. Right, and thank you very much for the quiz. Moving on, we've got our one last bit of admin to do. The Remember the First Time playlist. Hopefully, you've been subscribing to us on Spotify as well, listening to some of the tracks that we've been suggesting for our, our playlist. Paul, tell us about the playlist. What do we do? So, each, uh, each episode, we choose a track from the album to be added to the playlist that we all agree on. Uh, we also add a track that we ourselves have been listening to. So each episode, four tracks get added. Fantastic. What we're going for from Massive Attacks Protection, then, guys? Oh, it's a difficult one. You guys, you I'm guys. Gonna, give I'm going to put one out there because I think we're all going to disagree. This probably wouldn't be my number one, but I think it's a, a standout one that we've all suggested that we enjoy, and that is the lead track, the 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 title track, Protection. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, if I was just doing it myself, I would definitely put Sly on there as it's my favourite. But I think Protection is probably my second favourite. I could go with Sly. I could go with Sly. I I really enjoy that. I mean, again, I, I no, yeah, my my favourite is Karma Coma, uh, as that's clear. But yeah, I'm happy to add Sly if we want to add Sly. Right, we'll go Sly then. I'm, I'm more than happy to go with I'm that. I'm definitely happy to go with Fine. that. Fine, that's it then. That's it then. We're going with Sly. Paul, how can people find the playlist? <laughs> uh, they can find the playlist by searching for the Remember the First Time Spotify playlist on Spotify. Um, and they can subscribe by following it on there. Excellent. Oh, forgot we've not put our current tracks on. We have not. What are you going for, Charlotte? 
Uh, I am going to go for the new track by Mystery Jets, which is called Screwdriver, which is really blooming good, and it's kind of like rocky and heavy, and I like it. Oh, I've not heard it yet. It's very good. Mm, it's good. Um, so I'm going to choose uh, Young Fathers, in my view. Um, it's not a recent track. It's been out a while, but their influence, uh, sorry, Massive Attack's influence on them is clear, and I actually really love it. I really like all their stuff, but I'm going to like that one. Fantastic. I am going for the SLP and nobody else. Good old Serge from Kasabian. He has delivered on his first solo album and nobody else is a standout track for me. It is fantastic. I can't help but listen to it at the minute. Okay, I think I think that's about it. That is us done. Any other business? No. Dawson, any business? <laughs> Dawson is only bothered about the treats, aren't you, Dawson? Give us a bark. What's our next album? Our next album is Suede, Dogman Star. Brilliant. I am very much looking forward to covering that. If that's all for now then, Paul, say goodbye. Goodbye. Charlotte, ta-ta. Ta-ta. And it's goodbye from me, Mark. To end the note, we'll say, Daz- Del Najjar speaking to Alex Petridis in The Guardian in 2016. In the old days you were stepped out. You had to think about what you were wearing. You had to get out at the right time. You had to stand in the corner. You didn't fucking tread on anybody's foot. You didn't make eye contact with the wrong geezer. You definitely didn't burn someone with your fag. You did anything wrong, you were fucked. You grew up with that survival thing of how you might get through the night or through an afternoon down the city centre going to Virgin Records without getting your head kicked in. Don't be kicking people's head in, people. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy Massive Attacks Detection. Protect one another. See you next time.